Welcome to this Christmas edition of the Ski Podcast. What makes it Christmassy? Well, in a moment, me and Ian will exchange virtual Christmas gifts. And it is released just before or after Christmas. We haven't decided yet. But other than that, it's a normal show. So more... Fe- Maybe I'll put jingle bells over this bit. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, the Ski Podcast is sponsored by Switzerland Tourism. Interestingly enough, um, Switzerland has the highest percentage of population that go skiing, which is probably why they've got so many champions. 37% of the Swiss... Pos- Swiss, can't say it in Swiss population, it's like a tongue twister 37% of the Swiss population go skiing, that's interesting isn't it and in Switzerland 6% of the world's resorts uh, ski resorts are in Switzerland um, and one of those is Villas which we'll be talking about in a bit, um, obviously I'm Jim Duncan and I'm always, as always joined by Ian Martin, hi Ian Morning Jim, Merry Christmas Merry Christmas indeed. Merry Christmas to you and your family and anyone else. Um, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can do that on Twitter at the Ski Podcast. Find us on Facebook or email Jim at the Ski Podcast.com or Ian at the Ski Podcast.com or head to our website. And so coming up in the show, we're going to be talking about Val d'Azer, Villars, Lizard. We'll be giving Christmas presents away. We've got Team GB news and so much more still to come. That's exciting. Right, Ian. I've got you uh, a Christmas present. Are you ready to unwrap it? Okay, yeah, let me... That's me unwrapping it. Wow! I'm I'm so... It's exactly what, what I wanted. Just remind You're me... so with... pleased with... <coughs> remind yes, me what it got, is. Um, you've got... Well, I thought what you really needed, Ian, was a copy of Skiing with Demons Part 1. Ah! That's a really, really uh, good present because... How could I, I possibly? Know you read it. How could I possibly buy, uh, judge a book without having uh, read it? And uh, you know, and then uh, you know, okay, I've got plenty of time in 2020 to move on to Skiing with Demons Part Two and Three. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, in fact, I since our last pod, I read a little bit more about Skiing with Demons Part Three because uh, have you have you read it? He has an injury, and it's about his recovery from injury, right? No, I haven't read it. I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. I've decided I should be, uh, <laughs> I should be open, open to that, <clears throat> and that um, I'll put a link in the show notes. But we've discussed it before. And and, I should also have got you some cough medicine as well. Yeah, and we've interviewed him, um, Chris Tomlinson. Is that his name? That is his name. Yeah. Okay. Right. Are you ready for your one? Oh yeah, totally. It's a bit more expensive. Ooh. We should have maybe set a limit you on don't it. Know. How do you? You don't know how. I've got a bit of paper that I'm going to pretend to unwrap it with. Oh, look at that. Hang on. Um, can, have you still got the receipt, Ian? <laughs> what do you think? Is it your sort of thing? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen these. These are snow feet. I think we might have even talked about them before. Is that where you got them? They're things you strap onto shoes and you pretend they're skates. So you can just look like you're skiing. Oh, they're awfully in. <laughs> I hope you've got the receipt, seriously. Hey, this is the I, worst I waste saw, of money you've ever I seen. I saw the video on their crowdfunding website and it's got people in the park, you know, on rails and stuff like that. You know, that's kind of your sort of uh, scene, isn't it? The park, yeah, that's me and I am um, shredding the park. You know that. Um, I've seen adverts for these so many times, but suspiciously enough, Ian, I've never seen a single person on the slopes. And you know, remember when snow bikes came out, all those snow scooters? Yeah. I saw one or two people. They're taking off, and you know, these been a, these these snowshoes have been out for just about the same amount of time. Still, never seen anyone on them, and I can imagine the only reason is is because you look absolutely ridiculous on them. Mm. It's just awful. Well, apparently, to... apparently, according to their crowdfunding uh, campaign, they have had over a thousand backers, so there must be. 1,005 people. people out there <laughs> who've, who've got them. And so, <coughs> somewhere out there, they're there. But okay, okay, I'll send you the receipt and you can go and change them for um, uh, Skiing with Demons 2 and 3. Perfect. I'm sorry, I'm so ungrateful there, Ian. I apologise. I, <laughs> I, I should have feigned, feigned happiness, but I couldn't. They were just so appalling. Um, I've got a question, actually, Ian. Yeah. For, for you. Um, I mean, how do you prepare for the winter in terms of fitness? Is there anything specifically you do? Mm, no, because generally I'm fairly fit. When I when I was racing 
the Inferno in Murren a few years ago. I did specifically because it's a very long uh, downhill race where you can go faster if you're in a tuck for a long time. So I actually practiced that thing where you squat against the wall with the wall behind you, seeing how and yeah, building up the time. But otherwise, mm -hmm. uh, no, no specific uh, training yourself. Yeah, I've been um, this summer. Well, I've been trying to work on my balance. I thought that was a really important thing. Yeah. So um, I've been doing a lot of slacklining, which uh, have is you? Really good for your core. Yeah, I'm getting pretty good at it now. Right, that's I can, impressive. Um, I can, I can turn. I can walk. Um, uh, I can't do any tricks. I'm not like that um, uh, sketchy Andy guy. And then obviously it's got a bit wetter around here, so I didn't know um, how I was going to keep up that sort of exercise, which I found has really benefited me. And so I built myself um, a couple of balance boards with the kids, and that's kind of um, it's a, a different technique. It's like a budget version of that. Um, what does Graham Bell sell at the ski show? Uh, the skiers. Skiers edge. Skiers dream. Skiers edge. Skiers edge. So I kind of use it a bit like as a budget version of one of those. But okay. I built a balance board, and that's what I've been working on. So you've got there must be some sort of exercise you do other than like running. You do the squats. Do you work on balance or anything at all? Uh, well, I do yoga, you know, once a week. That's my my core, mm. and I do a bunch of core strength, you know. Anyway, um, so yoga is, is very good for skiing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, last year, I think I'll put a link in the in the show notes. But I went out to the uh, yoga week. Were you in San Martin? Yeah, Layman Weir. Yeah, Layman Weir. You know, where they had a whole thing. And these days, there's lots of yoga. Snoga, as a, as a hashtag uh, has it. So yeah, core is very important. If you listen to Warren Smith and generally any ski instructor, they're you know, talking about uh, you know how to improve your skiing. They'll talk about the, the the core side of things. But I'm very impressed for two reasons with that, Jim. Slacklining, I have tried a few times, and it's bloody hard to be able to stand on it at all, let alone turn around. I'm very impressed with. But secondly, your DIY skills for making your own balance board. I, you know that's yeah. that's great. I sanded it down and everything. I was pretty. Um, I think it's probably the best thing I've ever made out of wood, and I've not made many things. Mm, so that shed, that shed isn't just useful for recording the ski podcast in. It's uh, for making balance boards as well. Uh, I'm not recording the ski podcast in that shed anymore. Um, I managed to blow up the uh, electric circuit, and along with half of my chalet. <laughs> and do you know what? Right? So I, I managed to blow up the electric circuit, and uh, the half of this um, chalet is like 24 rooms in here. Um, so half the lights had gone out and I was just like, I spent two days trying to trace the circuits and I couldn't find um, where the, the circuit had broken. Um, and then my dad came, he's an electrician, he couldn't find it and eventually went, well, I've got to find, phone an actual electrician. An actual electrician turned up, three weeks later, we are in the Alps, remember. He spent ages with his little things and said, right, the next thing I'm going to do is knock down that wall, but I suggest you phone the owner and give them a call just before I do that. Turns out there was a magic magic extra fuse board behind a picture okay french electrics you know we know they're a law unto themselves and that's just kind of proof of it yeah absolutely right anyway um i've been skiing in that's exciting isn't it very exciting where have you been skiing i've been i've been using my new uh magic pass and i went to ski in villa and i'm never gonna get this right de la berta that's not right. is that lady anyway that's the one. Right. Right, anyway, here's a, here's a quick report about what I thought of it. Hey, I've just finished skiing um, Villars for the day. Um, it's my first time here using my Magic Pass. Very exciting. So I'm at the top of the Rock Orsay cable car. I'm about to catch it down. Unfortunately, I can't ski down to the bottom. Um, I'm recording this on the 17th of December, so fairly early in the season still. And um, we had a lot of snow, uh, and then it heated up and rained a bit. So um, the, the piste down to the bottom of the cable car and into the town of Villa um, wasn't possible today but you know it looked pretty good from underneath as I saw it but I wasn't going to risk my new skis um, so here's a, a quick report on what I think of Villas it's um, it's a handy drive up from the mountain um, from the valley up to the mountain the resort itself is 1,253 uh, metres which is great um, it's got a maximum uh, elevation of uh, 1,987 um, which isn't the highest, but, you know, it's it's not too bad. Uh, 84 kilometres a piste, and that includes Villar, Grillon, and Le 
Diableter. Why did I? I can't know why. I can't know why. I don't know why I can't say that. And then also, um, if you want, you can extend your pass and ski on Glacier 3000, which is obviously a very high point in the area. Uh, Handley, it's under two hours from Geneva, which is wonderful if um, you're flying and you don't want to be on a long uh, transfer. And the resort itself feels like it's had a bit of a resurgent um, from what I've spoken to people since I've been here, um, since they've been included on the Magic Pass. Uh, unlike the Port Slay, people are, seem to be coming here and um, a lot more people seem to be enjoying the skiing here. <coughs> uh, it's £40, £40 um, a day for the skiing, or £230, that's English sterling pounds, uh, if you want to get a full six-day lift pass. Uh, my first impressions of Villa. Um, so when I arrived, I in my head I was expecting some really cool, uh, wealthy Uber resort, a bit like um, what I imagine Crans Montana. I did no research for this. Anyway, I turned up and it was actually quite a small town. Um, and so that was a bit different to what I thought. Um, but on a whole, it looks like a good little ski area and it was um, good, good for beginners with all the blue piece around. Um, so from Villa you catch the cable car up to the top where I am now to the top of the Rock Orsay uh, which is uh, you look down into the valley where there's the, the lake and it's a, a fun bowl full of like reds and blue runs and some really good looking uh, off piece that's nice and easily accessible and like I say all this funnels down into um, the lake uh, here where there's a nice little children's beginner area as well um, and from there obviously you can ski over to Grion and that other place beginning with D that for some reason I just cannot pronounce. Um, three things I loved about Villar while I was here, um, easy parking, uh, and if you're a driver like me when you come to ski resorts then it was really easy to park and get onto the slopes, uh, easy access there. Loads of tree runs, so all the way over to um, the different resorts, it's all through the trees, so um, if you have these whiteout days or um, uh, low visibility there's always going to be lots of stuff to look at and finally friendly lifties, lifties. what really friendly people they take your skis put them in welcome you say hi um, give you you know very very friendly lifties. so well done then and uh, like I say I can't really comment on the quality uh, of the piece because you know they were tried really hard to maintain them and uh, we found some really sweet spots to ski uh, with some interesting terrain but on the day that you know they were they were pushed by the, the, the conditions, but they've done very well and they were looked after. Um, I'd say if you're coming for a week, it's really nice. It's got enough Swiss charm for you to really enjoy yourselves. So that's my quick guide to Villa. Um, have you ever been to Villa, Ian? I haven't, but I have been to Les Diablerie. Ah, oh, they're, you know, very close, aren't they? Y yeah, um, I went there when I was doing a season in Chatel. We went for an end of season you know, getaway and went up to the glacier there. Is it called Glacier 3000 up in uh, Lady Yeah, Glacier 3000. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't go up there, um, but it looks it looks quite um, uh, exposed, that glacier, doesn't it? Like, you think of the the other Swiss glaciers, the Sassway and Zermatt, and they're quite, you know, they're all quite sheltered and safe, but that Glacier 3000 is right on top of a big range, and it looks like it might be cold, but I didn't get up there, unfortunately. Right, but you're getting very experienced in, in skiing glaciers in Switzerland after, um, yeah, Sassfay in the summer. Well, I'll put the hobby. link in the show notes and then there are going to be more uh, uh, coming up um, as you continue to explore the, the Valais, right? The Valais in Switzerland. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you'll like it, Ian. You can get there by train. Yes. Um, I think there's a tram station. There's a tram station in the, in the, the valley, so you can catch the train all the way up. And, and go skiing that's that's good yeah. um, UK points right <laughs> excuse me yeah um, well Switzerland's obviously brilliant for it for travelling by uh, by train all over the place it connects really well and all of the uh, the funiculars by the way I should point out that when I say valet I'm not trying to say valley in a kind of you know posh accent the valet is the canton of Switzerland that all of these resorts uh, are in I believe oh, it's, it's not the Oxbridge education coming out of you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not. Because you are posh, Ian, and I know you're posh, because where have you just been come back from skiing? Do you mean uh, Val, darling? Is that what you're talking about? That's that's the one. I'm picturing you now in your fur coat, um, <laughs> skiing down the fass uh, on your Porsche 911-style <laughs> skis. Yeah, um, well, with, sadly... With a, with a headband. 
Sadly, it wasn't quite like that, but Val d'Isere is, you know, one of the world's best ski resorts, and it's always a pleasure uh, to go up there. I was actually doing a bit of work for one of my clients, uh, Le Ski. I have a few chalets over there. But um, while I was there, I did get a bit of skiing in. They had a, a lot of snow while I was there. I skied over in the Fournay area, uh, down through the trees, which was great fun. But I had to leave on, well, Friday of last week, uh, I guess it was, a week ago, the 13th, and it was snowing very heavily. You know, when I got up in the morning, I cleared the car, and there was probably about 30 centimetres on the roof overnight, and for, I wasn't able to leave resort until 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and by then there was another 20 centimetres, let's say, back on the car. And without going into all of the details of it, it was a pretty, I mean, it was about the most frightened I've ever been driving. I had a hire car which had winter tyres on it. I didn't have chains and it wasn't a 4 by 4 There were cars stuck all over Val d'Isere. It was carnage and I had to drive down to Bourg Saint-Maurice. And I did toss up, you know, whether or not I should just stay in resort. But I drove down and I discovered later that they closed the road about half an hour uh, after uh, I'd driven down there completely. Uh, and I just wondered, you know, it made me think, I'm like, yeah, I've done a bit of driving on snow. I wondered, you know, if you, you know, how you deal with driving on snow, what sort of uh, advice, you know, might be able to offer any our listener? Um, I think you've got to look after yourself and just remember that it's probably the other people that are going to cause that, that crash. Go slow, use your gears, you know, all those sensible things and make sure your car's equipped, isn't it? Um, both my cars have got um, proper snow tyres on and I've only, all last winter, I only had to put the chains on once um, due to really heavy snow. So I think they say that um, a, a car, like I've got a Fiat Panda in, that was one of my goals yeah. in life was to own a Fiat Panda yeah, in the mountains. They're, they're brilliant in the snow. I've achieved that. And they say like a car like that with um, with snow tyres on is the equivalent of a four-wheel car, four-wheel drive car with normal normal summer tyres on if not better so make sure you've yeah. got um, snow tyres and you very yeah. rarely will have to put your chains I mean, on I, I like, would I live on... re- reiterate those, those, those points that you made it's, it's not necessarily always the other drivers on the road but I think you, you know, when you're driving in the snow you've got to be really mindful of those other drivers leave a big space between you and the car in front of you because you don't know what they're going to do uh, next and you need to allow yourself you know extra time for braking because you don't want to be slamming on your brakes i tend to you know feather the brakes in those kind of uh, circumstances you know when you're going downhill and you're trying to control your speed you don't want to get too close uh, to the car in front and like you also said you know using the gears i try and drive if possible in the, in a, a higher gear to give yourself the option to change down to slow the car rather than having to to use your brakes and um, you know so don't scoot along in in first if you can be uh, you know in second and obviously the equipment you're talking about is you know i got going up there was snow on the way up as well well nowhere near is the way uh, down but going up you get cars driving when i was driving up cars going along with their hazards on you know, who are just crawling up the hill, who clearly should have pulled over earlier and put their snow chains on, assuming they had them. Uh, and, you know, they that's the real hazard. If they get stuck and you lose your momentum when you're going uphill, it's very hard to get going again. It's fine, you know, once you're moving. So leaving a big space, I think, is really important. And, yeah, I think stopping, that's the biggest challenge, isn't it, stopping. So you want to be put, your, put yourself in a position where you don't have to stop suddenly. Yeah. You want to stop gradually. Yeah. Um, and also, in terms of the snow, if you've got the, the correct tyres and stuff, then you shouldn't be too worried about driving, driving on, you know, uh, a fairly covered road. They should dig in and you should be fairly safe. It's when it becomes that if you're, as you head down the valley, and I've got it look where I live because I'm about 1,000 metres is when it's more like frozen sleet. That is the real tricky yeah. stuff because that, yeah. that really affects um, your brakes because it gets clogged up and makes a big wedge between you and your tyres and your pads. Um, also, you know, the, the snow tyres are less effective in that because they're not pushing through onto the tarmac and making that grip. I remember once we stopped, um, it was just exactly sort of that and there was a massive, the bus couldn't get up the hill and we all had to wait for about an hour just for that snow to change so we could all drive on hmm. we just sat and waited patiently 
But I, I thought I'd get out of the car and go around the corner and, and check to see what the, the hold-up was, see if I could be of any assistance. Left my daughter in the car, and I turned round, and the car was just sliding um, uh, on the ice. It was static, uh, and I think it was something to do with like uh, the ice melting in the um, handbrake. I'm not sure, but yeah, I jumped back in and uh, pushed it into the wall. I was uh, yeah. felt like a hero and an idiot at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying there about the temperature is really important. When I when I'm driving, I'm looking at the uh, the for the uh, indicator to say what the temperature is outside, because you know what you're talking about that that kind of thin layer of snow when it's maybe uh, you know two or three degrees, you know that uh, the early snow where you've got slush mm. on the road. That's the most difficult. If it actually drops and gets colder, then the snow becomes grippier and it's easier to drive on. The problem with Valdez Air that day was there was so much snow that the snowplows just hadn't been able to clear it all and there was a lot of churny snow, particularly on the on the side roads. Um, my final top tip, Ian, for yep. driving in snow, don't do it at lunchtime because that's when the plows definitely aren't running. Because <laughs> they're having their three-course lunch, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's probably, probably, probably a good point. Good. Well, hopefully that'll be useful to someone. And, and uh, if we have a listener, if you've got any tips or uh, stories about driving in the snow, then then please uh, get in contact. Right. Um, well, you've been skiing somewhere else, Ian. You've been a double whammy trip. Where well, else? yeah. You've been to Lezac? <laughs> yeah, actually, I had to get down to Bourgwell. I went down to Bourg Saint-Maurice because I was um, going to Lezac to interview some people up there about their new funicular, uh, which opened... And the, you know, the whole point of the article is about the sustainability credentials of uh, Les Arc. And the funicular is amazing. I thoroughly recommend you go and have a look at it if you get the chance this winter. You know, it's 100% electric, renew, runs off renewable, it's very futuristic. Um, and, you know, part of, you know, we've talked before about my ski flight free uh, campaign. You know, trying to uh, reduce the number of people flying on their ski holiday. However... It pains me hugely to say this, but as you've probably been aware from first-hand experience, there have been a number of strikes in France over the last few weeks. And in the end, my outbound trains were cancelled. I had to fly and get that car. You know, coming back by train, not a problem. You know, that actually was, was such a lovely experience, travelling back by train. Um, but, uh, you know, it really irritated me that that wasn't possible. Well, how about this, Ian? We'll make you feel better. If all our listeners will plant a tree on your behalf, we'll cancel out that flight. Is that all right? Uh, yeah, I mean, offsetting is another issue entirely. But, uh, but yeah, that would be wonderful. However... But well, you don't want us to plant a tree for you. Yeah, I'd prefer it if people uh, chose not to fly uh, instead. Uh, but regardless of that... Uh, I did get to Les Arcs and I uh, had a chat to a number of uh, uh, people and I also went to the new Folly Deuce which has just opened and they've got a little uh, uh, piece of audio here about that new Folly Deuce. Okay, so uh, I'm uh, here in Les Arcs with uh, Marion Grenier uh, who's the marketing director of uh, Les Arcs. Yes, I'm the marketing and communication manager of Les Arcs. Okay, great. Um, I'm very excited. Tomorrow I'm going to go to the new Folly Deuce that you have here. I think it only opened today, is that right? Yes, it's a big happening today. Yeah, and um, quite interesting. Uh, obviously there's a few Folly Deuce uh, around, but from what we were chatting about earlier, this one is going to be uh, different from the point of view that I think in like peak periods, uh, people will be able to take uh, children there, or yes. how will that work? Uh, they try to to do their best to fit with Lezark and to do a, a folly douce for Lezark. That means that they have their own expertise, a good location for restaurants and everything, but a special service for families and kids. Um, in partnership with uh, the ESF and Ski Instructor, you can come to your kids and your Ski Instructor to uh, have a lunch in the Folidus with a special uh, location for kids. Right, okay. And we're, we're, do you think the kids will be dancing on the tables then? <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that's uh, that's definitely different from the others and also because of the, the kind of environmental themes that you have 
uh, here in Les Arts that we've been looking at a lot. I think, uh, you know, the way they're going to be handling uh, waste uh, in the Folie Douce, they're going to be focusing on that as well. Yes, too. It was a, a good uh, a chat with uh, Luc Reversat, the owner, because he wants to do uh, uh, good things for Lesarc and for the Folidus in Lesarc, and they try to do their best for the West and um, to uh, have um, uh, uh, how do you say local producers. Okay. Like yep. uh, they they work like a lot with. Um, um, the cooperative Laitière in Bourg Saint Maurice yeah. for but cheese you want and everything. locally sourced uh, products. Yes. yes. Right. For Beaufort and everything. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going there tomorrow, so hopefully I'll get to uh, to test it out. But uh, that's very interesting. Merci bien, Marielle. You're welcome. See you in Les Arts. Um, so you did go to it. You went to it. Uh, how was it? Yeah. I mean, it was very nice. I wasn't there for the big. It was just warming up, as far as the uh, clubbing side of things is concerned. The cabaret on the mountain. Is that your favourite bit? Uh, not really, um, but you know, it's uh, it's good, I and mean, it's going to add more to um, to to uh, Les Arcs, uh, their offering, um, for sure. Whereabouts in Les Arcs is it? It's in 2000, uh, just above... Oh, right. No, 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 sorry, 1800, 1800, ignore that. It's just above 1800. It's actually, if anyone has been out there uh, before and seen the, the Millwheat uh, building then basically it's been converted from that. That was a restaurant that the um, the lift company were using. And, you know, they just were much better at running lifts than they were at running restaurants. And as it goes, the uh, director of uh, Les Arcs is from Val d'Isère. He knows the Riverside family. And that's how the conversation started about Folly Deuce, you know, taking it over and running it themselves. Good stuff. Um, have you ever danced on the tables in the Folly Deuce Inn? I'm sure I have. Um, I've definitely done it in... Um, maybe I'm getting confused. KK, uh, the crazy kangaroo, I've done it. Maybe not in the Folly Deuce. Ah, right. Um, can I ask you um, a few questions about the funicular, please? Of course, yeah. Because, um, I mean, that's... Uh, um... Yeah, I'm more of a funicular fan than I am a fully decent. Of course, right. so yeah, I remember some, that now. Some people, some people will have issue with that. Um, have they completely replaced everything, or is it a trigger broom, triggers broom situation? Um, I mean, I've been on that funicular quite a lot. Um, I think, it, is it newly electric powered, or is that just part of what it was always like? Yeah, it's it's more that they've uh, they've changed the the actual uh, carriage, I guess I would say, but they've also remodeled the whole of the um, the station where it departs, linked up how it links up with Borg San Marista station. You know, there's a covered walkway from the from the platforms in Borg San Marista station. Because it is so quite you... a long walk from the train station. Well, it's a shorter walk now because it... instead of walking uh, off the train to the end of the platform into Borg San Marie station, you would walk in the opposite direction. So away from the uh, station itself on the platform. And then there's a covered walkway, which takes you down to the departure station in Borg San Marie, uh, and to go up to the funicular and there's lifts, etc. So, yeah, but you know, there's a free shuttle service as well. You know, it's, it's very uh, efficient. There's a lift pass office at the bottom uh, there. There's actually, you know, if you were a resident or something, they've got electric bike charging, um, you know, there's, yeah, it's, it's very good. And finally, Ian, did you pay attention to the announcement on the funicular? Mm, gone. Tell me what I missed. <laughs> because I, I used to, th I would, I hope they haven't changed that because that was the best part. Um, they obviously they do it in French and then um, whoever was the um, announce, uh, the announcer lady who um, did then the English version of it, she had a really cool um, northern accent and she'd say in a French English accent that flammable products were strictly forbidden it was brilliant <laughs> yeah I didn't notice that either the accent or the uh, or the comments so maybe you'll learn to take flammable pro uh, products now oh uh, yeah well that'll be an absolute bonus because I really when I lived there I used to struggle getting that butane gas <laughs> up the mountain <laughs> so that is a relief for all those people with that Right, shall we move on? Anything else? Um, oh, look, Ian, I've got a note here that you want to talk about um, a rude word survey. Yeah, 
You're right. I don't know if this will affect our, uh, our, our iTunes. Um, we have to make explicit content. <laughs> explicit on that content. I, I refer to it as a bullshit survey. Um, you know, and it, it almost it kind of embarrasses me to even mention it. Maybe I won't mention the name of the company who came up with this survey, but it got covered everywhere. All of the newspapers. This is what annoyed me. All of the newspapers ran this story. More than a thousand skiers are injured every day after drinking on the slopes. And you know, it's a, it an insurance thing. You know. Now, what do you think? Drinking. Do you think, you know, let's say a thousand skiers. <laughs> Are injured every day on the slopes after drinking. Um, is this um, <clears throat> sorry? Is it British skiers or is it skiers in general? No, no, British skiers. Yeah, just British skiers. Yeah, no, that's bullshit. Then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, as um, a friend of mine commented on on um, Skipedia where I shared it, um, Vicky Smith. She, she did a little calculation. 20-week season, let's say, that's being generous, 140 uh, days across the season. That would be 140,000 British skiers. Well, you know, most uh, surveys say there's about a million active skiers, maybe, you know, uh, 2 million. So that's either, you know, 14% or 7, you know, between 7 and 14% of all skiers, they get injured after drinking. Well, that's... Complete rubbish. What about all the other injuries? If you stuck that in, there'd be no one left skiing, right? <laughs> yeah. And what what sort of injuries? Are we just, you know, I've, I've occasionally, you know, got my finger stuck in between my skis when I put them in the rack or something. Mm. Does that count as an injury? I don't think it does. But actually, that does, it does lead me on to, we mentioned Ski A&E and we had a couple of interviews with the producers from that. Have you been able to watch that at all out in France? Uh, I have not been able to watch it. I've okay. watched okay. a few um, clips on um, their Facebook page, mm. and I'm happy to review it based on that if you like, Ian. <laughs> well, I've watched all of them apart from, I guess, I think they've probably screened 8 out of 10 so far. Uh, and this is, you know, this is a, um, they followed the ski patrol around in Valterens last winter, and it's a bit kind of um, sensational yeah they obviously love I, I basically fast forwarded through all the bits where they have people in the medical center you know where they're looking at their x-rays and this and that and just watch the stuff on the slopes and actually if you do that it is really good it's a it's a lovely insight into the world of the ski patrol uh, and you get a real feeling for the the characters who work for them and what the job involves um, whether it's the people with the helicopters or whether it's the blasting, um, etc. Um, yeah, and you know they definitely weren't dealing with a well. Okay, it's not a thousand people in Valterens, is it? But um, you know most of the people who were injured w weren't um, because they were drinking. It was because they'd probably <laughs> overestimated their abilities. I um I did one day I went um, snowboarding and I did see three of my friends get injured in a row. Okay. Did um, they crash into getting, each other? No, no. I was getting to the top of one lift and I saw this girl, literally, she was on a snowboard and she fell forward. She wasn't even moving and she broke her wrist. Um, then I was snowboarding and a guy was following me. My friend was following me and there was this massive snowbank uh, and I went over it, you know, probably cool, did some really cool trick or something. Um, but it was quite flat and deep. Or No, I didn't see the bank and I went over it, didn't pull the trick, um, landed it. And I thought oh, I should tell him that there's a big snowbank there and he's going to hit it really fast. And I thought, <laughs> nah, it'd be funny to watch him go over it. Um, right. He broke his collarbone. And <laughs> on the same day, we were snowboarding down another section um, on some off-piece, but it was um, so, you know, a bit of side country. And it was quite shallow and there was a bit of... Um, uh, uh, hard ice underneath it and I slid on that and I thought oh, uh, I hope they're alright following me behind and he's caught his edge on that bit of ice that I probably should have warned him about and someone else broke their wrist on that day so you know quite okay. a tragic day did, did any of them make the link between the injuries and and you? Um, no uh, maybe if they're listening to this they'll realise that um, I'm mildly responsible especially the second one I think I'm most responsible for Okay, well, you know, so it's been a long time, Jim. 
Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll be over it. But, um, but Ski A&E, I, yeah, um, I like your review, in. Um, just watch the bits you like. Okay. Exactly, exactly. You are listening to the Ski Podcast. It's supported by Switzerland Tourism. We're halfway through, roughly, I don't really know. And um, that's how I edit it, you know. Um, still to come, we're going to be talking about sweating. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, White Lines uh, magazine. It's coming back, and Ian's got an interview with Chris Moran. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show at skipodcast.com and find all our social channels there. Here we go, Ian. Um, uh, are you sweaty? Do you sweat a lot when you exercise? Uh, definitely, definitely. You know, I um, need to be really mindful of making sure I get my electrolytes in. I had a nightmare in, uh, I can't remember if we talked about this in the podcast, but I did a race in Morzine in the summer, a trail race, and uh, I, I got really bad cramp, and it could have been so easily avoided. Oh, right. That is interesting. Um, and what happened? In the did end, actually. Running? No, there was a guy who came past, I was like, at the side of the race, doing the final ascent up to Avoriaz, and really struggling. And this, this guy very kindly gave me some salt tablets, you know, I didn't have them on me. That was my my weakness, and probably we're going to find out from your interview that that's exactly the sort of thing you need to avoid. That's right. I'm here with Andy Blow from Precision Hydration. He's here to talk about sweating and hydration. Hi, Andy. Hello, Jim. Um, first of all, are you a sweaty man? I am actually. Yeah, very much so. Uh, prop basically why i got into doing what i do actually okay, I'm, I'm quite a sweaty person we can we'll probably get on quite well in the next uh, 10 minutes um <laughs> i know this is a really basic question um but i want to start right at the beginning why do we need to stay hydrated what is the benefits of that if you're talking about hyd- i know that seems ridiculous no no so it is it's kind of it's it's a good question one that we get asked all the time because people sort of realize generally that they need to be need to be well hydrated to perform well especially if you're doing physical tasks but fundamentally when you're talking about hydration and exercise it it really comes down to well two things one is replacing the 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 fluids and electrolytes that you lose when you sweat but the reason we need to replace those is because they ultimately come out of your blood and your blood volume decreases as you sweat and if you don't replace enough of it then you you start to feel sluggish and and start to underperform okay and so well, obviously, it's a ski podcast. Um, what are the challenges, the unique challenges that um, us skiers face about staying hydrated? What do we need to be aware of? Well, obviously, it's completely different to the typical challenges that you would think of when you think about hydration. Because when most people think about that, they, they think about exercising in high heat and humidity where sweat losses are really high. And often with skiing, sweat losses, unless you're doing sort of more like backcountry skiing or cross-country skiing where you are, um, doing a lot of really long aerobic work you're probably not sweating loads and loads but where skiing I think can be challenging from a hydration perspective is one you're at altitude and you do tend to lose more fluid through other means other than sweating at altitude so the 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 dry uh, the dry air and the the altitude itself tend to draw more moisture out of your body you you basically respire quite a bit faster a lot of the time and you end up breathing out a lot more moisture and also in in the cold um, you tend people tend to certainly the first few days at altitude as well people tend to pee a bit more and actually lose body fluids through that route rather than through sweating because your 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 sort of body reduces the volume of fluid it's got on board and if you don't counteract that to an extent it can be it can leave you feeling a bit lousy. I was going to say, I mean, that is a, a big issue. If I drink more water, I wee lots more. And especially in the mountains, um, you know, there's not a toilet everywhere. Yellow snow is a, a common occurrence when I go up skiing. Um, is water enough to keep me hydrated? Is that what I should just be drinking? Most of the time, it probably is, in honesty. Um, and just, you know, kind of when you go first go to altitude or when you first go somewhere cold, you might you might increase what you're drinking a little bit you know extra cup or two here and there and making sure you stop it off for drinks but I think if you are someone who either sweats a lot because you are working hard or you're just feeling like your hydration struggling or like you've mentioned that you're actually drinking a lot but just weighing it out one little tip is to is to add 
um, electrolytes to your drinks so something with lots of um, sodium in it or to have some salty food with what you're drinking because that salt and the sodium is what helps your body hold on to the fluid and pull it into the bloodstream and keep it there rather than it just having to go straight through you so that can often make a noticeable and, difference um so this is what your product does so you're from a company called um why can't i remember it precision hydration it's right in front of me um and so <laughs> you you've got these powders and tablets um, tell me a bit about those and how they will benefit me if i put them in my water well generally you know the the point of our products is to replace um, electrolytes that either get lost in sweat or when you're losing fluid through other other means during exercise or activity and and help helping your body to maintain its blood volume and and stay properly hydrated and for what you were saying earlier you know is is probably quite relevant about you drink more water when you're you're out skiing or on the days when you are and you end up weighing more well by putting something with a strong amount of electrolytes in it you your body tends to hold on to that fluid a lot better and it and it mains your, maintains your hydration now if you're also the stronger products that we do the we do one which is called the uh, ph 1500 which has got about three times the amount of electrolytes of a standard sports drink and that tends to be very useful for people who also sweat a lot or people who get muscle cramps because sometimes those two things can be linked and if you're getting electrolyte depleted and um, and dehydrated then you know sometimes the the extra extra electrolytes in the fluid can help keep your body in balance and stop those uh, muscle cramps and things from happening it's a really interesting idea to help you stay hydrated and i like this because yeah i i do i wee a lot i, I mainly sweat um when i get all my clothes on and go down to the boot room and struggle in the heat to put my boots on and then i cool down very quickly um uh, one last question andy um I'm interested in the answer and you know skiing is quite a recreational you know some of us um, will put a lot more effort into it but a lot of us tend to go into the Alps and um, you know maybe have a, a bit of a, too much apres ski can I use my product to this product to counterbalance that or is that something you're just not going to advise me to do no no we we get again we get asked that question all the time and it's um it's it's quite funny because we sort of call it the the off-label use of the products really um in the often if you are at altitude and if you've been drinking, then dehydration does become a bit bit of an issue. And so having some of the pH 1500 you know, before you go out and have a few drinks and certainly when you get in and before you go to bed and maybe another one the next morning with breakfast definitely can be part of that, that way of um, sort of, shall we say, dealing with those extra stresses of, of being on a ski holiday. I like that. A good, a good answer. So there you go. Um, that was uh, uh, and the guys from Precision Hydration. You can find um, out more um, at precisionhydration.com. And if you want to purchase some of their um, rehydration sachets or tablets, there's a special code they've given us. Um, they've excitingly called it. Um, it's called the Ski Podcast, all capital letters, the Ski Podcast, and you get 50% off from them, which is quite good. And um, they did send me some stuff to try in, and I drank it to rehydrate, um, obviously, because that's the point of it. Um, my first um, point of note is it tastes quite nice. Right. And, and secondly, I did some sweaty stuff and then used it to hydrate myself using um, the, one of the powders. And I've got to be honest, Ian, I couldn't tell if it hydrated me more after drinking it, if I could have just drunk water. Am I just an idiot? Should I have noticed this? Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I noticed being more hydrated, but maybe I'm not an elite athlete like someone like you, Ian. I assume you use hydration and stuff. Yeah, well, I'm not an elite athlete, but I definitely, apart from that race that I mentioned before. Sorry, you know, I meant normally. Normally, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm on it. Um, like water, I think is less important than the electrolytes if you're sweating a lot, for sure. All right. I just like the fact that it meant I might wee less um, as I drank. Right. Which I was really excited about. Um, so there we go. Um, stay hydrated in the Alps, no matter what you do. It's really important. Otherwise, you'll end up like Ian or um, we in a lot. But definitely stay hydrated. What about reviews, Ian? What about reviews? What have we got? Well, I'm delighted to say that we've got another five-star review on uh, Apple Podcasts by a chap called Jake <laughs> Shap. Uh, so thank you very much, Jake. He says, great pod. He also says... Your strap line would be so much better if you dropped the because knowledge is powder. So, I think we just dropped the strap line altogether, didn't we? 
well, it's still on there somewhere. Not thoroughly enough. Yeah, not thoroughly enough. But um, knowledge is power, and uh, good point, Jack. will remove it from uh, Jake, uh, and we'll remove it from anywhere else. See anything else? Any other comments? Or people? Yeah, there was contact? one from Snowbros who you uh, who you were um, happy to talk about last week because ski, they were giving away ski. free ski instructor jobs. Right, ski bro. And they've said. Yeah, Ski Bro, that's the one. And they say, uh, they say check out the Ski Podcast for regular ruminations on all things ski from the experts. Well, that's, that's a big word, experts. Thanks. I like that. Right. Yeah, we'll take that one as well. Uh, and also, uh, we had um, Rod Fraser um, in contact uh, on Facebook. Do you, I think you interviewed him back uh, in. I'll put the link. Yeah, in the he, show he notes. skied 12, 12 days, twelve every month for a year. So that is twelve months. My <laughs> word, I'm tired. Um, so they, uh, I interviewed him about that. Yeah, in yeah, in Scotland, in Scotland. Well, he's been skiing in Scotland already this season. So thanks for getting in contact and for sharing that. And enjoy the rest of your season. I do have one more, um, one more review that came yeah. to my personal. Um, Instagram account at the average skier yeah. and it's from a kid called Max Ellis and this is proven we are down with the children Ian um, yeah. despite that review we had the other week and he says hi there I'm a massive fan of the podcast and I just wanted to say thanks for the back catalogue it's kept me going through hours of homework there we go hey uh, that's great because I love it when I mean people listen to the back catalogue the whole time you know we, we this will be our 61st uh, episode but every uh, month people are listening to the whole lot um so you know there's plenty back there have a look on the uh, website or uh, and do a little search look through the uh, the um, tags on there and you know find out something interesting thanks max so um the next section Ian, is something that we haven't done for quite a while oh yeah um i think i think it's something that'll probably make me a little bit annoyed um and <laughs> yeah you're going to tell us it's the team gb update section team gb update i'm uh, I'll just tell you to, to, to start off with what I consider to be the news, which is that the, uh, this guy, uh, Gus Kenworthy, he's uh, an American who has competed at the Olympics uh, for the States and um, you know, won a medal uh, previously, won a silver medal uh, at, uh, in ski slope style in, in 2014, has joined uh, Team GB. He has a uh, UK passport because he's got a British mum. And that is like massive news. You know, we interviewed Charlotte Banks back in, not really sure what episode, but I'll put a link in the show notes, who was representing France and joined uh, Team GB as a snowball cross athlete. But this is someone, you know, he's won a medal, Olympic medal, and has joined uh, Team GB. And that's pretty damn impressive. And that came... You know, the week after we found out that an Australian snowboarder had joined uh, Team GB as well. Uh, so wh- what is it that makes you angry? The people joining the team or just Team GB in general? Just that. I mean, they're acting... It's it's like Team GB is a premiership football club who are mm. just buying up all the, all the best talent. And for me, it's not about that. It's about, you know, supporting the grassroots and it, doing it that way. That's what it should be about. Um, and that's kind of what I find annoying about it, I think, really. Yeah, do you think that these but, people coming know, into the team are basically taking away a place for someone who's come up through the ranks? Um, yeah, I do. And I don't think it's about winning. I know that's what everyone says, it should be results-driven, and Team GB have got to get 100 silver medals, but then I, <laughs> then, then you look at it and you know it's a private sponsor, it's not given, it's not got free money. So I do understand that they need to have that, but... Is the I don't know. It just takes away the point of sport. Sport should be. That's because I'm rubbish at sport, Ian. That's why <laughs> I'm not an elite athlete, and I wouldn't be picked for the. Wouldn't be picked first, and that's you, what it's about. It's about being picked first. Right. Okay. I mean, you know, bit of, <clears throat> excuse me. GB Snow Sport. You know, their stated ambition is to become a top five uh, Olympic nation, and there was an interview I did with Vicky Gosling. I'll put a link in the show notes. Who's the CEO of GB Snow Sport a while ago? But what does seem to me is that you know i understand these people are joining team gb because it's really well resourced and really well organized and so probably that's a real vote of confidence in team gb and, and, and gb snow sports and presumably if they have the finances there then they can you know help the the the, the younger athletes come through as well 
Yeah, I'm sure they can they can do all that. That's just it's just how I feel about it, Ian. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. Gus Kenworthy um, has joined, and also um, his name is Nicholas Nicholas Bryn. No, Bryn Nicholas from Australia. He's a, a snowboard cross star. And talking of snowboarding, someone mentioned a while ago that we didn't have enough shred in the show, so we got a little bit of shred uh, to 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 finish off with. Um, White Lines magazine. Did you ever read White Lines when it was out? Oh, I probably found a few copies in the toilet in the ski resort while I was working there. Yeah, <clears throat> probably the the first and most famous of the uh, snowboarding magazines, but it uh, stopped publication about four years ago. Having said that, it's back on the streets, and I, uh, I had a little chat with Chris Moran, a former editor of the magazine, and still involved with it. Um, so I'm I'm here just now uh, with Chris Moran. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to chat to you is because you recently mentioned to me about White Lines and bringing out a, a, a new episode, a new issue rather. Yeah. First issue for how long? Uh, four years since the last one. So it's, this was issue, I think it was 121. So 120 was what everyone thought was going to be maybe the last issue. Yeah. And um, so that's pretty weird. So they decided they were stopping printing, mm. just sticking to online. And why, if, why are they bringing out a new one again now? Well, okay, so I wasn't actually part, party to that conversation as to why they're bringing a new one out, but I think basically demand. I think they thought that they could do another one because, I mean, in the meantime... So it was... Um, Factory had... It wasn't just white lines that stopped doing print. It was Sidewalk Surfer, Surface Path, um, all of their titles. Yeah. Uh, they just said, we're going to completely cut all print and we're only going to be digital yeah and that was four um, years ago that was four years yeah. ago it was a pretty bold move but it was probably the right move i mean you know when was the last time that you actually picked up a magazine or bought a magazine for sure i mean in the course of in previous um, interviews on the podcast i've talked to um people like uh, frank baldwin you know and the only reason he's still publishing is because they distribute it for free which is skier and snowboarder yeah. magazine yeah. Uh, and previously we've talked about how, you know, there used to be a section right. in WH Smith for skiing and snowboarding, didn't there? And there would right. be a whole rack of magazines up there, but people, you know, were not buying them anymore. But you're saying maybe because they've all stopped, they obviously feel there's demand out there now? Yeah, I think they wanted to do... So when, you know, digital's great, but there is there is things that you can't, you can't do on digital. So... Um, I mean, the, and the landscape's completely changed, even from five, six years ago. So one of the things that was, uh, you, you just can't get across online, is the photography. Yeah. You know, and snow, snowboarding has always had, you know, there's a massive creative part of snowboarding. And yeah. photography was where it was the outlet, really. And that's why the magazine... People loved it because the photos were great, right? That yeah. was, you know, and for brands, you know, that's much better as well, right? Yeah, but the brands thing was always, I mean, my God, the amount of arguments that we used to have with the uh, advertising because we never saw it as a brand thing. Right. And I think that's the death of anything artistic or yeah. creative. Because just to kind of refer back, I mean, you worked on White Lines magazine for quite some time, didn't you? From the beginning. From the beginning, From right. The yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I was, I was involved in issue, issue one and... I think I'm the only person that's done it all the way through. Matt, Matt Barr and Ed Lee were, came on quite soon after. Yeah. Matt was about issue four, issue five. That's Matt Barr who uh, runs his own podcast, uh, Standing Sideways, which uh, Look, some of our listeners sideways. might have heard. Yeah. Oh, Looking Sideways, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Ed Lee from uh, Ski Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we worked on it up until probably maybe issue 50 or 60, something right. like that. And then we handed it over to Ed Blumfield and his team, Duffy and... Uh, and you were doing editorial writing, uh, Yeah, I, I stayed on all the crew because, <laughs> and, and it's been brilliant because every time the crew has moved over, um, everyone's been really aware of the history and, and tried yeah. to involve. So now that, you know, the new, the new editor is, is, is Joy and uh, Stella um, and, uh, and Rob. Great, and and it's going to be available like in W H Smith. It's to buy. I mean, it's not it's distributed buy, yeah. for free, well, is it? No, it's not for free. I think you can you can buy it, you can buy it online. You yeah. can buy it from I think the snowboarders have yeah. a lot of snowboarders. Do you know shops. when it's coming out? It's out. 
Oh, it's out now. Yeah, right. Out. Okay. Well, that's good because uh, people will be <laughs> listening to this uh, in mid-December. So, so that'll be really good. So, um, yeah, look out for uh, for White Lines uh, magazine. Uh, you know, get onto their uh, site, get the uh, new issue, and um, if you want to hear more uh, from Chris, we're actually going to record some other uh, snippets for the podcast, which you can uh, tune into on our next episode. And I believe you've got more about uh, with Chris Moran. It's not just that um, particular um, interview. Tell us more about that, Ian. For sure. Well, we talked about all sorts of stuff because, um, you know, he was very modest in that uh, interview there. He didn't mention that he was on the cover of episode one of, uh, of White Lines. And, uh, you know, back in those early days of snowboarding, he uh, was... Yeah, in that vanguard and, um, you know, won multiple uh, British Championships uh, winner, uh, worked on White Lines uh, for quite some time. And uh, I think the plan is to release an exclusive uh, episode with all of the details of that, uh, you know, interview in there. So, so listen out for that, listener. Yeah, we'll get that out sometime in January. I'm looking forward to listening, it, listening to it. Cool. Um, do you want to talk about the ski club or not? Well, <clears throat> who was it? Someone sent us a, a link to a YouTube video where the ski club... It was James Hawkins, and he says, I recently watched the video below, which I'm sure we'll put in the ski note, show notes. Yeah. Um, and uh, he says he recalls a car crash moment, which starts about 10 minutes in. It sums up for me why they ha- uh, who they have in the ski club. Um, he says he might be being a little bit harsh. As an avid skier, Austrian skier, everyone knows that Mario... Matt is a professional skier and he owns the Crazy Kangaroo. Um, and he would certainly, James says he would certainly expect the ski club to know. Uh, anyway, he thought he'd share that. We might find it interesting. So if you watch the video, what happens, Ian? In the well, minutes, yeah, I did it? watch it. And there are a couple of people, they're obviously doing a, I think it's a guide to St. Anton. And uh, they're interviewing the owner of the KK, who they then understand is a guy called Mario Matt. And... And they, as they're talking to him, they gradually begin to realise that he's done some racing. What they fail to realise is that he's a gold medal Olympic uh, winner and he's still on the racing circuit. And they've obviously, you know, never heard of him. And uh, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I think probably, almost certainly, <laughs> we've made a lot of mistakes, like on this podcast, factually, uh, etc. over the years. You know, probably they should have known that. Um, maybe the ski club, you know, f- you know, farm that out to some, you know, someone else who's good at making videos but less knowledgeable about skiing. What do you think? Um, I mean, it's the sort of thing I do completely. And <laughs> you know, it's not like they hid away from it. They put it in the video. Yeah, it's quite interesting it to watch out, their faces. They? As it, yeah, they could have cut it all out, re-edited it, but no, they went. Here's these stupid people suddenly going, oh. Um, they probably just thought they were interviewing a bar manager and, you know, maybe I would do the same. I'm going to do some interviews next in a few weeks' time and it'll probably just turn out like that as well. Yeah, well, do a bit of research on, uh, on the owners and, yeah, see if there are any Olympic uh, medal winners around. In fact, when I was being shown around the Folly Deuce uh, the other week, uh, this guy was uh, showing us around and chatting, etc., and I can't remember how it cropped up, but basically it turned out that he's the son of Luke uh, Riverside, who set up the original Folly Deuce in, in Val d'Isere, and now he's managing this one. So he's, I don't know if that makes him, um, well, probably apres ski royalty, perhaps. But I didn't, you know, I didn't know him. Um, well, that is exactly the sums up for me. Um, <laughs> the the thing that's wrong with the, snow, uh, the ski podcast and... Uh, I would ex- certainly expect you to know. Uh, but thanks, James, for pointing that out. We did enjoy it. It was uh, it was good. If you, you know, anyone else wants to send stuff in, do feel free. You can uh, find us at all the, the usual places. What have you got coming up in the ski next episode or in the next few episodes of the Ski Podcast, Ian? Well, I think we're hopefully going to get... Um, uh, or our next record will be just after uh, Christmas. And I'm not actually going to be skiing between now and then. So I imagine that we'll be talking to you about all the great skiing that you've done. Um, but we'll have a bit a bit more of uh, Chris Moran. Maybe um, some more from uh, from Les Arc. Um, what have you got coming up in that period? Um lots of skiing i can bore you about my new skis if you like um which i'm sure you want um i might um visit a ski resort in the aosta valley i'm going to italy for christmas and 
um, I may pop into one of those. Um, I'm tempted to go to Cormier, and I'll tell you why if I do. I've got some interesting, fantastic facts about Cormier. And also, next week, next time, I've definitely got in the can um, a ski tip from Dave from Snow Pros. Um, he showed me how to um, master skiing over those patches of ice you accidentally find and go, I wish I hadn't found that. Excellent. Well, I look forward to definitely uh, Dave, friend of the show. I always find his bits uh, really interesting. Um, and Aosta Valley, I'm fascinated to know what your facts about Cormier are. So um, I hope you get to go there and you can tell me. What a cliffhanger. Let's finish on that. Ian, thanks very <laughs> much. Thanks very much for listening. Um, and uh, have a Merry Christmas. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.